when we were praying earlier today, um, and you're welcome to about 9.15, we just pray into the service and just believing that this isn't us playing church, but we're actually wanting God to, we're, we're wanting to have a genuine encounter with him together. Um, and just this kind of thought of each of, our, each of us having like a pen that our life is written, like, like our life is written with a, with a pen and how we so often want to have that pen in our hands and write our stories just how we want them to be. And I feel like so much of the book of Genesis that we're in right now has been learning to actually give him the pen of our life and fall down before him and say, write whatever story you want to write. I know it'll be better. I know it'll be good. I know it'll be the story you want for me. And that's a terrifying thing for me to think I'm the author of my life and actually for him to be the author of our lives. And so I'm kind of giving away the sermon on the get-go, which uh, sermon classes would tell you not to do that, but uh, some of those have a lot of terrible things in them that you need to forget. So um, I, I think it'd be good just as we start just to kind of have that idea out there among us as we move into Genesis 17. And what is happening in Genesis 17, like, like we have a Bible that has so many words from God. And at any time, if I'm like, I, I would love God to speak to me, please, please speak to me right now. I need to hear from you. Like, this is what this is. Now, yes, like there'll be times that's like, would you please... Like, God, would you, as I'm in you speaking to me, as I'm in your word, would you communicate to me in this specific time of needing to hear from you? But to say, if I could only hear from him, that's what this is. And so that's why we're stepping into this book. And when we're in Genesis 17, Abraham doesn't have this. He's actually only just had a couple conversations with God in his entire life. And he's now 100 years old, and he hasn't heard God say anything to him for 13 years. So that means for 13 years, he's just been chewing on a few sentences. He doesn't have this. He just has a few sentences that have been told to him that he's hanging on to. And what he is holding on to seems impossible so not only is he just hanging on to some conversations he's had with, it's significant the one he's had conversations with, but his, the, God's promises, God keeps promising him that he is going to have kids and he is going to be known as this guy who has so many kids that you can't even count them all. Like there will be so many descendants and he's 100 years old They've never been able to get pregnant. His wife is so beyond menopause, she might, maybe doesn't even remember what decade that happened in. I mean, like, this is so, like, the promises of God seem so impossibly far away where all God's promises crashed and burned way in the past. And it's been 13 years that he's just been living. And Abram's walk with God has been probably best described as a struggle fest. 
Like there have been beautiful highs and really embarrassing lows. And God keeps moving towards him. God keeps taking steps towards him. Telling Abram that, that God is going to see the promises through. It's like, I'm telling you what I'm telling you, and I'm going to make it happen. That's what you can meditate, like that's what you can chew on when you're starting to doubt whether this is gonna happen. Just start thinking about the one who's making the promises. And he hasn't heard from him for 13 years. He's been waiting, he's been actively waiting since he's heard from God, and today it changes. He hears from God. Verse one of chapter 17 When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. So just that in itself, it's like, like that gets me excited. It's like, this is a long time coming. And he actually didn't just like, like speak a few sentences to him in a dream. He's like, hey, I'm going to come in person. It's been 13 years. I'm going to come in person. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. <laughs> so there's lots, of, uh, there's lots of stuff going on just in these three sentences. Um, there's lots of new names that we're gonna see in chapter 17, but God uses a new name in this verse. You might say like, well, it's, it's just the word God, right? Well, in Hebrew, there's like multiple ways that in English we would just translate it God or Lord. And so when he says, I am God Almighty, he uses the word El Shaddai. El Shaddai. He's never, Abram has never heard this before. Like, I mean, he knows those words. You know, he's not like, Shaddai, I've never heard of that. Like he knows that that means mighty, but he's never known that that is a way to call God. He knows Yahweh, he knows Adonai, like he knows some of these words, but he doesn't know El Shaddai. And God is saying, I, I am El Shaddai. I am the powerful one. Abram, you need to know the powerful one. I am, I am letting you know the one who is all powerful is speaking to you right now on the ground with you, and, um, you know, it's just this week made me just, I want to know the all-powerful one. I, I need to know the all-powerful one. We need to know God as the powerful one, and maybe you'll meet him for the first time today, or maybe in the first time in a long time. God says for him to walk with him, you know, have you ever like had a boss or like, you know, it's like a, I think in business leadership books, it's like a technique where it's like, come on, walk with me, walk with me. We're going to have a conversation, you know, and, and it's, it's a, you know, it's walk with me. We're, we're going somewhere together. Walk with me. Um, <laughs> so he says, walk with me, Abram. And I love what Abram does. When he says, walk with me, he falls on his face, <laughs> Yeah, it's like, hey, Abram, come on, walk with me. And then it's like, look at back, and he's like falling on his face. You know, he's, he's not walking with him, but like, I want to be like this. I really do. Like, I, I want us 
to be like this. That when God appears and speaks to you, when he speaks to me, and he says, walk with me, we just fall on our faces at the absurdity even of that invitation. In his mighty presence, when El Shaddai has met you and said, hey, walk with me. Now, I'm not saying we don't walk with him. Like, you know, it's not, hopefully we're not just like, oh, I'll just spend the rest of my life laying here on the ground. But I think so often we are the mighty one. In our little kingdom that we're building, we are the mighty ones. We are the king of our domain. We have the pen that we are writing our story and look at my 401k and this and this and this to prove it, that I'm the king of my castle. And we, I feel like we can't see the vast might of El Shaddai when he comes before us if we are the mighty ones in our lives. But what I love is in this moment, and Abram has messed up so much, he's failed dramatically in many ways, we would have all have canceled him by now because of just the way that he proved himself to be unfaithful. And God goes to him again. And he says, I am mighty. I am the mighty one. Walk with me. And he falls on his face. And I'm like, I want to be like that. I really do. I think all of us want to be like that. I don't know if there's any of us that's like, eh, I'm, I've got more important things to do. I think we all do really want to be that way. And it's like, God, would you make me that way? <laughs> uh, would you make us that way? Would you make us to be those people? Then the rest of verse three, God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. But you'd be like, hey, I've heard this before. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. So now we can finally call him Abraham. Your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I love here that God is doing such a mighty work. God is so changing the narrative of Abraham's life so completely that it's time to even change his name. It's like, and there are some people in here, if you get to know the men and women of the church, it's like, I know they go by the same name, but it's a different person. And if you don't know any of those people, you can come up and ask me, and I'll be like, hey, why don't you have these, this couple over for dinner and ask them their story? And they will tell you of two different people. And the difference was Jesus and meeting him. And that here, Abraham will be his name. Like, the Abram... His identity was he was the guy who couldn't have kids. That was the identity of Abraham, the guy who couldn't have kids. And Abraham will forever be known by a totally different identity. God promises in fresh ways things that he had said 13 years ago. It had felt so good, I imagine, for Abraham to hear these words again with fresh details and fresh power. And then verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will, look at all this. Look, look who's the, putting themselves as the subject. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you. 
and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Verse eight, and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Um, so the details of God's promise, if we, if we had time and it's good just Bible study to look at everything God said to Abram the first time, everything he's saying this time, compare, contrast, and see things that he's emphasizing, uh, reasons he might be emphasizing that based on things that have happened and all that stuff. He does expand promises. He clarifies things. I think it's important to know that God's details of how he is fulfilling the promises of Abraham don't get diminished as the years go by. They don't grow dim. There's a fresh vitality that Abraham's, Abraham has gone from this old man to an older man and maybe feels like his body is, is getting weaker and weaker and like God's vision is clearer and clearer. It, it's not growing dim. And what is so cool is that some of the things that God said to Abraham previously were really about God and Abraham and that relationship. And now God is starting to say like, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm going to be their God too. And I'm, I'm making a covenant that this is going beyond my relationship with you. This is going deeper than my relationship with you. Um, some of the most specific answers this is kind of mind-blowing. Some of the most specific answers of these promises of these verses will take a little bit to be fulfilled. The most specifically, kings will come from you, is most fulfilled 1,800 years after it's spoken. 1,800 years after it's spoken. I mean, imagine if God said to you, what you do today, what you do with Jesus today, the, today, today, the decisions you're making, saying yes to God in your life, following God, walking with him, falling down before him, that there will be generations of people that will follow your lead, who will delight in Jesus because you first said yes to Jesus. And that, that feels unworthy. That feels like, well, I'm not that important. Well, that's kind of the whole point in all this is the, the first person of God being the subject saying, I actually value you that much. I see things in you that other, I, I believe things in you that you don't even believe about yourself. And me plus you is really significant. And God is telling Abraham, like, the things that you say yes today, or if he invites us into that, the things that we would say yes today, even in the midst of our failures, promises given to us, what if it takes hundreds of years for you to really know those are coming about? What if it even takes thousands of years? What if it's like, man, some of my descendants in 4225 just really had a weekend that they went for it, <laughs> and it was beautiful, you know, and it's like, would that make me angry? Because I like my Amazon Prime being tomorrow, 
and I hear that maybe it could become today, and that would be progress in my world, that if what I want, I get it that moment I want it. That's kind of how we are with the pen in our hands. And when he wields it, and he's like, this is going to be a beautiful story. And in about 300 years, you're going to really love it. Walk with me today. What if our lives are greatly improved by it? Like truly, it's like, you know what? My life could be greatly improved today by acting on God's promises today. Like, yes, immediate, immediate benefits. And like God's saying, you know what? Everything is going to change following me. Everything is going to change following me. And also knowing that it might be decades before truly everything is changed, before everything is changed for you. And that is actively delighting in the reality of future promises. And like, what we have to realize, it's like, if we try and get ourselves into Abraham's skin and, and experience God through Abraham's life, we're seeing a person who is saying yes, knowing that he probably won't benefit forever <laughs> in a lot of things that God's saying to him. And they're also giving him great joy, meaning to his life, and he's saying yes, knowing that everything is going to change. And I might have to wait for everything to change. So, so what happens for them today? Like, how, what do I do with today? Look at verse nine. And I, I'm not saying this is the way that, this is the application for us today, okay? So don't get a, a little nervous as we go and be like, where is he going with this? Verse nine. So this is what they were supposed to do at that time. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. This is how you should step into this. You and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Probably as they're hearing this, they're like, okay, you have my attention. <laughs> you know, I mean, remember this 100-year-old man hearing this. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So one question we could ask is, why circumcision? Like, it's not going to be readily obvious. Like, why, why circumcision? Why does God tell them to do this? And ultimately, I mean, you could... I could share books with you that spend many, many, many pages going into all of those questions. Ultimately, the best answer is we have no clue. Why circumcision? Um, and I'd also argue that that's the wrong question to ask. God has promised, like, he will be the one 
who ensures the, the promises come about. He is committing to be the God of Abraham's descendants. And circumcision is just a sign. Remember it said it's a sign. So it's not like, oh, this is like, it unlocks the key to God's heart or something. Like, it's like, no, this is just a sign that a way that believing people who say, I believe God, my heart, I, I believe, I trust him. I trust his words. I trust his way. I believe him. And so it's a way, okay, for people who are believing God and desiring to believe him, trusting his promises, like a sign, a physical in the flesh sign that they're believing God is circumcision. And Abraham doesn't ask questions about why it's like this. Um, I think we like to be people who hear God's words and then we see if it makes sense to us. It's like, okay, I've, I've heard a few things from God. Let me see if that makes sense to me. Um, if, if, if it does make sense to me, I might consider doing what God tells me. If it makes sense to me, I might consider doing what God tells me. If I don't quite understand, um, I feel like we're in a cultural moment where like, if we don't quite fully understand, um, we're probably not gonna do what he says. And I, I can tell you that walking with God makes sense. It is logical. It is intellectually complete. And Abraham is learning when God speaks to trust him to obey him, to trust his heart, to trust his ways, to trust his timing, to follow his lead. And Abraham is going to have that tested right now. Um, God speaks specifically of Sarai. God hasn't communicated a lot in the last 25 years about Sarai. Verse 15, God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? So shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Sarai will experience God in such a mighty way that it'll be time to change her name. Like that's how much God is going to write a narrative of her story that is so not Sarai. <laughs> we don't even know her like this. And her identity will never be the same. And in Hebrew grammar and sentence formation and the tenses of verbs, what is really fascinating is that Hebrew doesn't have, like Greek is a lot more specific where it'll have all these like nuanced things of past tense and present tense and future tense. Greek, in Hebrew, there is a past tense that's basically just like, this already happened. Like, I ate pork last night. And if I said that in Hebrew, it was like, that happened. It was done. It was over. And when he says, I will give her, I will give you a son by her, he says that in the past tense. She's not pregnant. She won't be pregnant. She won't give birth for over a year. And it's already happened in God's mind. 
It's already happened in him writing stories that he even says it in the past tense. I've given her a son. I'm blessing her. And instead of Abraham falling on his face in worship, he kind of falls to the ground laughing. He, he, and and I, I kind of joke about that, but it's actually like a serious negative thing he does here. That he's just like, you are God Almighty. I am worshiping you. I'm falling on my face before you. Oh, this massive thing in my life? I mean, you've proven you're not powerful there. If you would have been powerful there, you would have done it 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. You are powerful. Good guy compartmentalization has just happened. As it relates to my wife having a son, this is impossible. And Abraham's response even shows that he has thought that Ishmael, who if, if you haven't been walking with us in this, that um, at one time they kind of conspire together and say, well, maybe it's up to us to fulfill the promises of God. So maybe I should sleep with another woman and she will have a son. And then that's kind of how we're all going to have a son together. You know, it's, it's not God's way. And they tried to like bring about God's promises by taking the pen back. And so when Ishmael at this time is 13 years old and God is like, I am all powerful and your wife is going to have a son. And he's like, here's Ishmael. You know, uh, of course, that, like, this is the easy road for you to fulfill your promises. Is I, th- I thought for the last 13 years maybe that Ishmael is going to be how all this happens. And I love verse 19. Look at that. For God said, no. No. Like, Abraham, I'm throwing a hard no at you. No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant. Look, they didn't even get to name their son. Like, this is a year before he's born, months before he's conceived, and God's saying, This has already happened, and I'm giving you his name right now. It's Isaac. It's a boy. It's Isaac. It's all already happened. Just walk with me. Hang with me, please. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. He's been telling him this for 30 years. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. It's so clear to God how God will fulfill his promises. Like, I, I don't want to forget that. I don't want you to forget that. Is It's so clear to God how God will fulfill his promises. God even names the son. I feel like he's saying, how can I spell this out to you more clearly, Abraham? Sarah, in her body, as a person, Sarah is going to have a son. 
the time, this time next year, you will have a son from Sarah. This has already happened. I'm giving you his name right now. Sarah isn't even pregnant yet. God is guaranteeing it, speaking of it in the past tense, saying it will happen this time next year, already renaming Sarah, already naming Isaac. This is what he is like. This is the type of God he is. He is like this in Abraham's life. He is like this in your life. He is like this towards you in your life. He is like this towards me in my life. Verse 23, then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. And I don't, I'm, I'm gonna, well, <laughs> I just picture a hundred-year-old man walking up to the other guys and be like, hey, you know, like with like a scalpel. And it's like, oh God. So this is a faith moment for everybody. I'm just saying that, okay? Faith moment for everybody. Uh, he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Verse 24, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Ab- that very day, his obedience is... He, he's got to get corrected. He's thick skulled. He's gotta, God's got to get all that out of him. But he acts when El Shaddai has spoken clearly and he can hear. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Abraham finally lays down the idea that Ishmael is the son God is talking about. Abraham finally, I feel like, gives the pen to God. He has Ishmael circumcised, which is fascinating, believing that maybe even his son, born in sinful circumstances, could also have this God present in his life. Abraham shows great faith in this moment. As a hundred-year-old man, an old dog is taught new tricks. I've heard as I've talked to people about God, and they're like, well, you know, can't teach an old dog new tricks. It's like, well, if you're under a hundred, if you're a hundred or less, I can tell you about a guy who was taught uh, very new things as an old man. And I love that he leads his entire family, his coworkers, his employees, He leads everybody in a way where every man, very personal way, if it's like, well, hey, don't bring religion into that, that's personal. (laughs) These guys got really personal, (laughs) very personal, more personal than I'll ever seek to be in any of your lives in some ways, right? Um, uh, He gets really personal, and what I love is that they say yes to God as well. I think of Abraham's leadership influence and how obeying God can be very contagious. Saying yes to God can be very contagious. Thankfully, after the arrival of Jesus, God himself, the second person of the Trinity, who made us, Jesus made us, he made this place, he stepped into this place, he lived the life that we couldn't live, he lived a perfect life in your place. He lived a perfect life in my place. He died humanity's worst 
creative idea of death. He died humanity's worst death. And one of the reasons was because all of our sins, he was nailing to the cross as he volunteered to get on the cross. His death is the death that we should have lived and lived through. His death is the death that we should have died for our rebellion against God. He conquered death by his resurrection. He is alive, and because he is alive, being alive with him will be the forever reality of all who come to him. Okay, let me say that again. He is alive, present tense. He is alive, and because he is alive, being alive with him will be the forever reality of everyone who comes to him. And what we are told that God wants of us to enter into his promises, what he wants from us is for our hearts to be circumcised. He has the scalpel in his hand. He does the work. We come to him and we say, I want a new heart. We say to him, I want a new heart. I want my heart to beat for you now. I wanna give you the pen of my life. I want you to be the author of my life. We come to him and say, I want a new heart. I want my heart to beat for you now, not for me. And I think each of us might be tempted to laugh like Abraham, like fall on the ground laughing, saying, can this old heart beat for Jesus? Can this sinful heart beat for Jesus? Can this weary heart beat for Jesus? Beat strongly for Jesus. El Shaddai. Placing your life, placing your life into the hands of El Shaddai, yes. It's, it, the yes is on the table. Like he is able to do that then maybe, which seems crazy, but many even in this room have similar stories. Maybe God would use you, your yes today, your faith today, to lead those around you to him. His family were very familiar with his failures. They knew his failures more than we do. His family were very familiar with his failures, but they still followed his faith. His family were familiar with his failures and they still followed his faith. Can I pray for us? Lord, um, I thank you that we have this for us from Genesis 17. And God, would, would, would none of us leave here as the master of our domain? Would none of us leave here as the king of the mountain? Would, would none of us leave here with weary hearts, with uncircumcised hearts? Lord, would you um, meet with each of us? Would each of us meet with you? Would we not be about just playing at church, wearing masks, all that stuff, Lord, but would we just lock arms together with hearts beating for you and see our community changed as we are being changed. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.
a, a beautiful way that he designed for us to commune with him is communion. Um, we, we take the bread, which re- represents his life, his body lived in our place, his blood shed for us, washing us white as snow. Um, this is something that was his design for us to do. Uh, Edwin and Julie, dear friends of ours from out of state, uh, will be serving us the elements. Um, just, we'll come down the, the middle, just hold your hands out, and they'll, they'll give you the bread, uh, wine or juice, obey your conscience there. And whatever the Lord needs to do in our lives, let's give him some space to do that. Uh, we'll have opportunities to pray together afterwards and, and uh, come alongside each other. Um, if you have yet to have your heart start beating for Jesus, if you have yet to give your life to him, um, if you'd like to know more about that, um, you, we could talk about that. You could talk with somebody next to you about that. But what's amazing is you could talk to him about that. And you don't have to pay any money. You don't have to go to a class. You don't have to read anything. Um, you just come to him and say, I'm giving my life to you, Jesus. And then if you would sprint to the table, you can push people out of the way to take communion for the first time. That'll be really a happy experience for all of us, except for the being, person being pushed. But, uh, um, but yeah, let's, let's really come to him and commune with him.